lives uh, to prepare us for great, greater things. How many of you know it's from glory to glory? He is changing us. But we also need to realize it's the glory and glory doesn't come until we go from crisis to crisis. Now, that's, that's not the exciting part of it. Uh, how many of you know that when Jesus came, he said, Behold, I come to bring you the good news. You know, and that message of good news is good. It is really good. Because it means that you're more the, the conqueror. You win. It means that you're, you've already triumphed in Christ. But Jesus made certain statements. If you really study the Gospels, you'll find Jesus making certain statements, especially to his disciples. He said this, I have many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them now. I don't know about you, but I would say, what are you holding back? Why would you say, you got good news, but you're not able to say it now? Because he knew that the journey was going to involve some things that are going to challenge you. Because how many of you believe that Jesus wants the body of Christ to grow up? Amen? How many of you have ever had a baby? How many here rejoiced when your babies stopped using pampers? I mean, was, that, was that not a day of breakthrough and celebration? You went out and had a party, you know what I mean? <laughs> my son, my son, my daughter, she doesn't use diapers anymore. She's actually going on her own. I mean, for parents, that's plus the savings. I mean, kind of the other thing. But, but see, it's the same thing in the kingdom. The Lord, I, I'm just going to tell you what the Holy Spirit showed me. There's a lot of believers in the kingdom, in our nation, that are still in diapers. We had an issue several years ago. There was a gentleman in the church my, where my wife and I used to go to. He, uh, his name was Neil. Neil was in the church for 20-some years. We had a choir back in those days. He was sang bass in the choir. He was an usher. He served in different capacity. Everyone knew Neil and his family. And one of the days, one of these Sundays, we, it, we had Sunday night services, and Brother Dick, my pastor, he always used to do testimony time on Sunday night. And we were having Sunday night service, and Neil was not too much of a talker. He, he wasn't an outgoing. He had friends in the church, very faithful. But one day he came, uh, Dick, Dick asked for, does anybody have a testimony of what God did? By the way, we had a, an amazing VBS this past week. I, I wish our, all of our kids didn't leave. I wanted to see if any of them wanted to give a testimony. We had a powerful, I want to thank all our volunteers. That VBS was amazing. But back to the story, Brother Dick asked for anybody to come down and give a testimony of what God has done for you. And Well, Neil comes down. This guy, he's not a talkative guy, but he, he comes down to the mic, and it's kind of shocking to see Neil because he's not a real extrovert. And he stands up and he says, I just want to give thanks. I have been truly now become a convert a follower of Jesus. The entire congregation was in shock. Neil just become a convert? He's been in the church for 20 years. Sang in the choir, did the ushering, and it, a revelation hit him. I'm not saved. I'm not really born again. It, it blew everybody's mind. We were just sitting there all. And so we kind of went like this. Hallelujah. Neil got saved. And here's a guy who went to church, sang in the choir, and it hit him. I'm not born again. 
How many of you know it's possible to go to church and not be born again? How many of you know that the Pharisees were in synagogues, in church, all the time? They were doctors of the law and were not even born again. How many of you know it's important to be born again? Now there's a fine line between, and today it's, it's the most confusing factor. Because people get this confusion about being under the law and being under grace. There is a confusion about it to a lot of people. Some people think that being under grace means that, well, I don't really have to obey God and everything. I don't have to be so specific about everything. And some people think that being under the law, people under the law think that, well, grace is just a license to sin. They can do whatever they want. So you got these camps, and then you got people in the middle of those camps. And so it brings a lot of confusion. Jesus introduced the message of grace. John 1 says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and we beheld the only begotten of the glory of the Father. Now, here's here's the thing about salvation. Salvation, a lot of people think that, well, being saved means that I'm turning over a new leaf, I'm going to become spiritual and religious, and okay, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to serve more, I'm going to give more money, and, and they do it out of the wrong motive. Everyone say motive. They, they, they misunderstand. Do you know that you can obey God for the wrong reasons? Let me say that again. You can obey God for the wrong reasons. How many of you believe thou shalt not commit adultery is a good law? Is that a good law? How, about, how, how, many, how many of you believe thou shalt not covet is a good law? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false. Thou shalt not bow to any other God except to God. Those are good laws. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. The law was given on Mount Sinai. The purpose of the law was to shine a light on two things. It was to shine the light on how perfect and glorious and majestic and beautiful and how holy our, our God is. That was the first purpose. But the second purpose of the law was to show us how filthy and how far we have fallen in our sin. It wasn't intended, the law was not given for us to try to keep in our own strength. It was not intended to measure. Well, praise God, I tithe this Sunday. I prayed this Sunday. I've given this Sunday. I work in VBS and I sing in the choir. But, But the question is, have you ever come to know Jesus? Have you really encountered Jesus? How many of you believe that that's? See, see, it's it's not about the rules and what I haven't done. What you, you know, it's even in relationships. Relationships. Here's 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 a marriage problem that all of us, I think, have fallen into. We have a tendency to keep track of how bad our partner is. We know their weaknesses, and we magnify. Their problems. You know, my husband has a tendency to always be late. My husband has a tendency to, you know, he's got a moral problem. My wife, man, she is one lazy bum. Oh, my. So we, we have a tendency, we may not necessarily speak it, but we think it. And when we think like that, what we're doing is we're actually empowering their weakness when we continually bring it up how weak they are. You don't bring change to people by reminding them. You know what? You you always, you always are late. You always are sloppy. You know what you're doing? You're just saying, keep doing it. But under grace, Romans 4, 
We're to call those things that are not as though they are. Let's say you've got a sloppy husband, sloppy wife. How about saying this? Honey, what a gift you are. Man, you keep this house so immaculate. Laundry's all over the floor. Dishes haven't been done. Yeah, but Pastor Ray, are you asking us to lie now? No. You're calling those things that are not as though they are. Here's another, here's, here's another one. What your spouse is weak in, that's what washing feet's all about. Instead of reminding her that she hasn't done the dishes, you do the dishes. You know what the purpose of leadership is? It's not to stand up here and bark out orders. The purpose of leadership, the greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you is the one who serves. How many of you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Remember Mary? By the way, awesome women. I want to tell you something about Mary and Martha. These two women were smart twins. These girls were smart. And this is my opinion, personal opinion. It's not a theological doctrine, but I personally believe these women were farther ahead spiritually than the 12 male counterparts. I'm not kidding. They, they were sharper. They, they caught on to things that Jesus said faster than the 12 male disciples. I, I remember preaching at a woman's conference one time, and I'll, I had this woman ask me in public. I couldn't believe she asked me this, but why didn't Jesus choose six women and six men? Why did it have to be all males? She really put me on the spot. And I said, do you really want to know why God chose 12 men? Go back to 1 Corinthians 2. God didn't choose 12 men because they're stronger, they're smarter, they've got greater ability or this or that. The Bible says God chose the weak. God chooses the foolish God chooses the things that are not. The Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, nobody in their right mind would have chosen the Apostle Paul who was a blasphemer, a murderer, had people put in prison. You talk about a crisis. No one would have voted him in to be a leader of the church, but yet the Holy Spirit uses this man to write most of the New Testament. Do you know why? See, see, our concept of leadership, Jesus said this, that in heaven, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Those who are on the top here are going to be on the bottom there. So see, if we measure... That's, that's one of the big problems today, even in, in church circles, is we, we tend to elevate leaders. We put them on a pedestal. Oh, they're perfect. they got halos. And, oh, man, it's like, Pastor Ray, I just can't talk to you because it's like talking to the Pope, man. I just, you're, you're so holy. Get them, just marry me. Get to know me. You will not like me. You will see my warts, my problems, my faults. There's a blonde over here that will tell you everything about me. But thank God, his grace is made perfect in what? Weakness. Now, why am I saying all that? I want you to write, or just remember these things or write it down. When you are under attack in a crisis... There are three things you need to be on guard for. When a crisis comes in your life, the first assault and the attack will come against your mind. How many of you know the devil comes to shoot war thoughts on your thought life? He will come to raise, he is, the Bible refers to Satan as the God of confusion. 
He wants to bring confusion and chaos. He will assault your mind. My wife just gave me the Charisma, recent Charisma magazine this month. And in the Charisma magazine, it says this, that 87% of Americans in America have a Bible. At least one Bible in their home. But guess, guess what? It's in this week's Charisma. Less than 21 or 20% of people actually read it. That's not good news. That means people aren't reading their Bible. If I'm not reading the Word... Now, you could read the Bible, but if you don't know how to come away from it and you're not being fed, then you're reading it wrong. How many of you know you can read something wrong? That's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it opens revelation. How many of you want revelation in your life? The first thing is that a crisis will come. If any crisis, a problem or anything, the enemy comes to attack your mind. And he will attack it with lies. He will attack it with deception. He will seek to attack your mind to get you to do what he did with Eve in Genesis 3, and that is to question God. Hath God said? Question your identity. Question where you are. Question your marriage. Question this. Question this. All of a sudden you doubt. You're living in doubt all the time. I think you married the wrong word. I, I, I don't think I got the right job. I, I'm going the wrong way. Problems are piling up. I must have done something wrong. Stop in Jesus' name. That's where I got to start saying, Father, the steps of a good man are ordered by God. You said, blessed is he who meditates and delights in the law of the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted. You've got to, the out of your belly needs to start flowing the word. But, but if the word's not there, the second thing a crisis will do is attack your faith. First, he attacks your mind. Secondly, he attacks your faith. The third thing, which is to me the most dangerous thing, is he begins to attack your defenses. In other words, if you go back into Nehemiah chapter 1, when Nehemiah heard from a servant about the condition of Jerusalem, and this was the report, the walls and the gates of the city have been, have been shredded. The enemy has access to, to come in and just go and come and go and come and go as they please. All of a sudden, there's no walls, there's no gates. What's the walls for? Do you know that every marriage needs walls? Do you know what I mean by walls? I'm not talking about walls between each other. A wall keeps the enemy out. And it also protects the people within. My marriage, my wife and I, we're in a covenant. We have walls in our marriage to protect our marriage. Here's a wall. Communication. No secrets. How many of you believe that's a good wall to have? We don't have secrets. We don't keep things from each other. We don't go running to our girlfriends and say, do you know what my husband was doing? That's breaking and destroying the wall. You never go to another person's spouse when there's a problem. You always go up. How many of you know that if you're having a marriage problem, you run to a winner? You don't go to another person who's having the same problem. How many here would ever go to a doctor and have surgery if the doctors had a pattern of killing people? Anybody would like to go to that doctor? Would you know that that happens all the time in Christianity? Well, yeah, but they seem to understand because I've been, they've been through that problem and oh, I'm in this problem and they just seem to sympathize. That's 
the wrong thing to do. You want to go to people that have a pattern of success. Everyone say success. Oh yeah, but they, they just seem so much higher and mightier and, and they'll be condescending and judge me and they'll probably look down at me and think I'm just a horrible person. No, that's another lie of the enemy. Another lie. When I have a crisis, I don't go down and I don't go to my friends. I go to my pastors, my leaders. I go to people that have a pattern of success. And I run with those people. I surround myself with those people. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? But we have people today. Let me tell you. Do you know the average teenager feels more comfortable about opening up to other teenagers than their parents? And I'll tell you why. Because parents are not opening up with their problems to their children because they say, well, I I can't be that vulnerable. That's why are kids free to open up? Because they feel free to be vulnerable and comforted and supported. But the danger of it is this. Just because they find comfort and sympathy with other people that are going through the same thing doesn't mean they have the solution. I don't want to go. If I'm an alcoholic, I don't want to go to another fellow alcoholic. Now, I don't mind being accountable and having open opening my heart if he's my accountability partner, but I want to go to someone who's got a track record of beating this thing. Amen? I don't want to go to a quack doctor who's got a pattern of killing people. That's why it's, it's, it's so, so, so vital. The third thing is this. First, he attacks your mind. Second, he attacks your faith. The third thing I said, I guess, is he attacks your defenses. And here's the reason. To get you to compromise. Satan's ultimate goal is to get you to quit and give up. That's Satan's goal. Just quit. Why try? Why, why, why give yourself? I want you to jump with me for just a few minutes. My time is moving to First Samuel. This is a story about David. David. Listen to this. David is a fugitive. He's running. Now think about, the, here, think about this crisis. God gives you a word. How many here have ever received a great word from God? A good word. Okay? And how many have ever seen things go wrong after God gives you a good word? David was taken, according to Samuel, the prophet. He says, I took you from the sheepfold, and I made you king over my people. But David wasn't king yet. David's first order of business besides serving, he he came from a dysfunctional family where his own father rejected him, Jesse. David came from a family of eight brothers. There was also sisters. They don't, they name them later. But when they came, when Jesse told, or Samuel told Jesse, the father, that I'm coming to your house, God spoke to me that God is going to anoint a king and the king is in the house of Jesse. You are to go to his home and you're to anoint the man that I tell you that is going to be the anointed king. All of a sudden, the guys put on their best garments and there's the oldest I mean in in the tradition of the Jewish people the eldest one the oldest one was always looked to as the one who would be the 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 major prodigy he would be the executor he would be the one who would take care of the finances he also was the laziest and the one who did the most bossing around how many of you like people who were bossy Oh, I don't either. But the, this, this was a standard kind of thing. He, he bossed the brothers, and dad would let the eldest boss the brothers around. By the way, that is not a good family thing. 
Don't let your children be a parent that you need to be in the home. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Don't let some older daughter, older son, will you take care of your brothers and sisters while I'm gone? No, no, no. You are putting a burden on a child that doesn't belong to them. And it's going to hit them later years in life. Oh, have I ever dealt with that in my life? Mom and dad always left me to do the responsibility and straightening, and now all my brothers and sisters, I hate my guts. Because mom and dad didn't want to deal with it. Let me say this. Parents, you are not called to be your children's friends. You are not called to be Santa Claus. You are called to be leaders, examples, and you are called to teach them the way of the Lord, how to walk by faith, how to be a success, how to be blessed, how to say no when it needs to be no, how to say yes when it needs to be yes. You were taught to be an example. You were taught to be vulnerable, transparent. You were taught. We're led by the Word of God. We're, we're shown all the warts, all the pimples, all the problems of the disciples. That does not disqualify you. In fact, if anything, in the mind of a child, when they begin to see the faults of a parent, and that parent humbles himself and says, Son, daughter, I want to tell you, one of the reasons why we're having financial problems is mom and dad have not been tithing. And I'm here to tell you, parents, you need to be teaching your children to tithe. Do you know my dad? I used to mow lawns for 10 cents a lawn. Boy, that's a great price, isn't it? And my dad and mom said, a penny goes to the Lord. A penny. I can't let go of that dime and turn it into nine pennies. We learned to tithe when we were this young. I'm thankful that my parents taught me. I would have never known the blessing of God that has sustained me over the years had my parents opened their mouth and said something. Boy, Pastor, you're pretty fanatic about this. You bet I am. Why? Because I want your kids to win. How many of you want your kids to win? Blessing. You know, we could sit up here and say, you're a blessing. Oh, God's going to prosper you. Oh, God's going to pour into you. Seed. Sow your seed and all that. But we never get into the nitty-gritty of what Christianity means. We don't get into how... You mean I'm actually supposed to tell, teach my kids how to pray and tithe and give and serve? Yes. Yes, you are, Dad. I want my kids, honey, come here. Come here. Praise God. I know some of you guys are just saying, well, what's he going to do? Hang on, hang on. Give me a hug, honey. My boys grew up. You can look at the congregation, please. <laughs> My boys grew up seeing this. Dad and mom hugging appropriately. They saw affection. That's important. How many of you know that things are more caught than taught? When they see this working, you know what it proves? God is real. God is real. God, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents. <laughs> we brought our kids to church and we brought them in Christian school and we brought them to Sunday school and I can't believe why they're out there serving the devil. My question is, how did you live as parents in the home before them? Because you are the major role models. If they don't see love here, guess what? We are imperfect. I can't tell you how many times I had to say, Carol, I was really wrong in front of my sons. Why? Why is that necessary? So they could know that grace abounds where sin and weakness abounds. But if you never are transparent about your weakness, they see God as a dictator instead of a loving God 
they can run to when there's failure in their life. If they don't see the forgiveness, the transparency, the communication, and the openness here, I don't care how much you bring them to church. Your God's not real. Because there's nothing at home. Good preaching, Pastor Ray here. Hallelujah. Thank you, honey. You may go home. Go, not go home, but go back. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, this is, this is kind of a tough, tough message. I'm not trying to be tough. I love you. I really care about you guys more than you think I do. By the way, do you, have you ever read 2 Corinthians 10? Paul was hated by the Corinthians. They hated him. They said his speech, he can't even preach. He can't even, can't even articulate. He's got knowledge, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Thank God none of you said that about me yet. Your speech is good. That's, that's the way they thought. You, you see, sometimes we think, well, success is Joel Olstein. You know, I, I love Joel Olstein. I turn Joel Olstein on, and I feel like I'm just kind of sitting under a bath of water. He's, he's, he's a great guy. Great message. I'm going to say something here. I just wish he preached the rest of the message. Go a little deeper than just giving us milk. You know what milk is? Milk does not require any responsibility on your part. All you do is open up and gluck, 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 gluck. But meat requires, mm, mm. boy, that was a big chunk of meat he gave us today. Mm, mm. 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 Or some of us may do this. <laughs> to that message. So you can spit it out or you can chew it and grow. How many of you want to chew it and grow? See, I, I, I am... I, here, here's, here's the thing that puts fear in me. Someday Ray has to stand before God and give an account. Not you. I have to give an account for the what I say. Not just what I say to you, but how I live my life without you seeing what I do. God's going to hold me accountable for what, I do, what you don't see. It's not about what you see. Oh, Pastor Ray, he's, he's up there and looks so pretty in his new shirt up there today. Praise God. That's our pastor. That's not Pastor Ray. Pastor Ray is what he is when you're not looking. When you're not around. When I'm by myself and when Satan is coming at me full flood. That's what Christianity is. It's not, it's not the face we put on. Huh? Hi, Fred. How you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, wasn't that a great Super Bowl game last week? Yeah, hey, that was awesome. How's your job? Hey, hey things are going well. We're up 20% this year. That's not the kind of fellowship that builds believers. But here David in the Bible. He's been serving under a man by the name of Saul who was king of Israel. I'm going to make this short because my time's going. Serving under Saul, Saul becomes jealous and tries to kill David because David is killing more of the Canaanites, Philistines than Saul is. Even the girls, the dancers and the singers made up a song. David has killed his tens of thousands and Saul his thousands. And this got back to this king who was an insecure, insecure leader. He couldn't handle it that people were talking about him. That's, that's the worst kind of leader you can have. Is when you have a leader that leads because he hungers and he thirsts for your approval. Saul was a leader that wanted the approval of the people rather than the approval of God. In fact, you will never find in the Bible a true leader 
that did not have skepticism and attacks. Read Numbers 13 and 14. They wanted to kill Moses, get a new leader, and go back to Egypt. Moses was their pastor for 40 years, and they hated him. They said, let's get rid of this guy. Let's go back. And Moses, like the man of God he was, interceded. He says, Lord, please, these are your people. Don't, don't destroy them. He's, one, one day he went to the, the Lord. Moses went to the Lord. He says, Lord, your, your people are not listening to what I'm saying. And this is what God said to Moses. Moses, it's not you. They're not rejecting you. You're just a mouthpiece. They're rejecting me. That's a, that's a, that's a tough thing. When God puts somebody in your life, you have one thing to do. You can receive it. Now, I do believe everything, even truth. Truth needs to be done in love. There needs to be done love and mercy, and there needs to be a desire and a care for people. There needs to be that. There needs to be compassion when people are weak, when they fail. We need to have a sense of vision and desire to let them know that we believe in them no matter how far they fall. That is critical. If a brother or sister is overtaken in a fall, it says you which are spiritual. Everyone say restore. When someone fails you, hurts you, turns on you, if you are truly a believer, your desire is restoration. It's not, well, you did that to me. I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm just going to give you silence. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. That's not Jesus. Remember when Jesus was going through Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't let him pass through. That meant Jesus would have to go 60 miles around Samaria to to go to the north towards Capernaum. And the sons of Zebedee said, Jesus, you got the power? Call fire down and let's destroy these Samaritans. How dare them do that and treat you like that? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. I didn't call to call judgment against the wicked, but I called sinners to repentance and to mercy. Jesus saw the best in people no matter how bad they were. But that was because he was abiding in the Father's love. Everyone say abiding. You cannot be changed unless you're abiding in his love. And I need to be receiving his love every day. Now notice what happens here just in the next five, give me five minutes. It says, it happened, verse 1, David and his own men came to Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites invaded the south at Ziklag. David was running. He had 600 of his mighty men of valor here. And burned it with fire. They burned their camp. David's out fighting the enemy. He comes back home after the battle. They're tired. They're worn. They're burned out. They're... And taken fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great and did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. In other words, they kidnapped their kids and their family while David's out doing the work of the Lord and David and his men came into the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, I can't even pronounce their names. Let's go to verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. I, I love this. Just transparent. David was greatly distressed. Notice why. For the people spoke of stoning him. His own people turned against him. His own mighty men of valor because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But, everyone say but. There's got to be a but in your life. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. 
Everyone else is crying. You, you, we followed you in the battle, and look what happened because we followed you. Now our kids have been kidnapped. And David was distressed, and they thought of killing him. How many of you believe that's a crisis? I'd call that a crisis. It says David strengthened himself. Strengthened himself. Everyone say strengthen. When you're in a crisis, I need to know how to strengthen. I need to know how to... If I can't strengthen myself as a husband, guess what? I can't strengthen my wife. I can't strengthen my family. I can't not become the lifetime crutch in the home. I've got to grow up. I've got to get healed up. Amen? I can't always be the burden. I'm always the burden. I'm always the crutch. No, you're not a crutch and you're not a burden. But God does want you to get strong. He doesn't want your life to be a lifetime of crisis. He wants you to learn to turn your crisis into a victory. Three things. Notice what he does. The first thing David does. He strengthened himself, and this is what he does. And David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar, the, it, it, was, it, it was basically the way they determined the mind of God was, and it's too long to get into it, but the ephod, linen ephod, so, or not linen ephod, but the ephod here. And it says, And David inquired of the Lord, said, Shall, shall I pursue this troop? Or shall I, shall I overtake them? And the word of the Lord was, and he answered him, say, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Everyone say recover. He said pursue. You know what he's saying? Get back in the battle. Everyone say the battle. Yeah, but we just come from a battle, and I'm tired. I know. But this time, you're not going to fight with human strength. You're not going to just fight out of your own strength. You're going to learn to first encourage yourself in the Lord. Everyone say encourage. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? Well, first of all, you've got to renew your mind. You've got to fill your mind with the Word of God. And number two, you've got to start believing what you read. How many of you believe it's good to believe what you read? Number two, stop living by what you see and by what you feel and start calling those things that are not as though they are. Number three, expect the enemy to blast you. A lot of people, oh, you know, I thought when I came to Jesus that it was, I thought I was going to get happiness. Do you know there's nothing in the Bible where Jesus promised you a happy life? Shocker. I thought I was going to be happy when I gave my life to Jesus. No, Jesus said in Matthew 13, he said, in this world you will have pain, tribulation, suffering. In fact, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, for it is appointed that we suffer, for if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. That's the full gospel. We don't hear a lot about suffering today. We hear a lot about hope and grace and mercy and love and goodness and breakthrough and increase and prosperity and this and that. And those things are good and those are powerful promises and we need them. But I want you to notice something. Between Egypt and the promised land was a space called the wilderness. Between Egypt and the promised land was a place called the wilderness. And the wilderness is called and referred to in the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Bible. It is referred to as the time 
and place of testing. Why did God need to test me? If he's already called me a conqueror, why does he need to test me? Listen to me. The test and the fire and the crisis brings out what God already put inside of you. Nothing can bring it out. It's good to speak the word. It's good to confess the word. It's good to believe the word. But now I've got to walk it out. And sometimes heaven is silent. Sometimes there is no feeling. Let me tell you something. This side note. I'm on a program, lifestyle program, losing weight, you know, changing diet and all this. You want to you hear something funny? True story. Do you know one of my biggest weaknesses? Used to be? Used to be? Soda. Donuts. Oh. I, I think I put donuts on the throne. But this week, I ate a donut and I got sick. Do you know why? Because I've been eating so good lately that when I went back, I had a donut and I told my wife, I said, Carol, I'm nauseous. She says, it's because your body's changing. I've been so used to eating the crap that that was good and made me feel good, but I was tired and worn out, but now I can't even eat. I love maple bars, and that's what I had. Anybody out there? You don't have to to raise your hand. If you eat maple bars, keep eating them if you want to eat them. I'm just deeply, I'm trying to talk to you about transformation. When you start eating good things, my son David said something to me that shocked me. Because I told him about this change we started in February. And he said something, and I didn't really take it well. But he said, Dad, your first month, your body is going to go through a body shock. I said, what do you mean body shock? You are going to shock your system because you're changing what you eat and how you live. I couldn't, I said, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? It was the worst hell. February and March was hell. Well, I I guess I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. But guess what? When Carol and I pressed through the body shock. What do I mean by body shock? Passing by the donuts. Do you you notice that when you watch TV, how much garbage food and commercials are on? Coca-Cola, you can go to Burger King. I heard just yesterday, I saw this. For $3.95, you can get two two cheeseburgers, two orders of fries, and two orders of Coke. Guess what? It's all crap. But to you that are leading at that stuff, that are filling your bodies with that stuff, you may not realize it. You're killing yourself. I'm not trying to give anybody a diet thing here. But now we're on protein drinks and we're on salads and we're eating chicken and tuna fish and and tomatoes and uh, cucumbers and carrots and all health food thanks to John and lots of yogurt and Tons of water with no taste, no sweetener. It, it, was, it was body shock. What I'm trying to tell you is that victory just doesn't just kind of float down like feathers. You're going to have to walk through this. And guess what? I told my wife, we do this. We're getting up this morning and we're going to do our ab exercises. Thank you, Lord. Six and a half minutes of ab exercises. Thank you, Lord God. By about three minutes to it, I am dying. I am in pain. But don't I look a lot skinnier? Well, I, I, I didn't really 
I'm not trying to get applause. What I'm trying to tell you is that victory and breakthrough comes with a price. Well, I, I thought Jesus paid the price. No, Jesus paid the price for your redemption, but he didn't pay the price for you to grow up. He paid the price for your salvation. He paid the price for you to grow and to become like Him. Marriage is the same way. No marriage is happy or blessed just because you got married. Do you know what your wedding day is? you know what your wedding day means? Your wedding day means you have a biblical right to live together in holy matrimony with the blessing of God. But it still doesn't make you married. That might be a shock to some of you. Marriage is when you've gone through some storms and some problems and differences and you, you look at each other and I think I like you anymore. Well, I don't like you either. But you know what? I still love you. Thank God I don't have to like you, but I do have to love you. Now, some of you probably have never thought of that one. God didn't ask you to like me. But he did tell you to love me. Because love is not based on what you think about me. Love is not based on that you necessarily agree with me. Love is not based upon that you feel good about me. Love is based upon the fact that because Jesus loves you, I love you. It's a decision. Everyone say decision. Do you know your victory is a decision? Number one, close it. David pursued all and he got the victory. Number one, you have to learn how to encourage yourself. How do I encourage yourself? By speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the what? So I go around the house and I thank God while my thighs and my calves are burning. I worship you, O oh God, when I'm eating my celery and my tomatoes. I thank you, God, that you've given me a wife that doesn't always agree with me, and I don't always like her, but she's a mighty woman of God. Oh, Pastor Ray, that's so hypocritical. No, it's not. Your obedience is what changes your taste. It changes the way you see things. We're looking for that perfect man, that perfect woman who sees it perfectly just like I see it perfectly, who just is going to make me happy until I won't be lonely anymore. A perfect man or a perfect woman or a perfect wife, perfect job, perfect church, perfect, perfect. I'm looking for the perfect place that just makes me happy and feel good because I'm so distressed. No, God's going to put you right back into the battle. And he's not going to take the heat off because the potential and the power and the blessing and the place of promotion he has for you is so much bigger than you could realize. Do you know what? It took 40 days to get Moses out of Egypt. It took 40 years to change Moses from being a selfish self-centered, narcissist, immoral liar and murderer took 40 years of the wilderness to make him a leader to where he would be able to stand one day. He's on the backside of the desert. And God shows him a burning bush. Now hear me, I'm closing with this. God uses a bush that's burning in the wilderness where he's been for 40 years. God has been stripping. God has been breaking him down to where he turns aside and he sees this bush. And the Bible says in Exodus 3, he goes and he looks at the bush. See, this is what a crisis is intended to do. It is, to in, it is intended to insult and to cross your intelligence. God is going to break strongholds that are in your mind. Your, your persuasions, your ideas about God, your ideas of life. God will bring you to a place 
where everything is questioned, contradictions, and where you come to the point where you say, okay, God, I'm willing for you to speak to me through a burning bush. Have anybody talked to a bush lately? How many here would let your life be led by the voice from a bush? See, sometimes God uses things that we would never think. Some of us have gone through a crisis and we can't see anything good. God says, no. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God brought Moses to a place where the bush would burn but wasn't consumed because God was basically saying, I'm revealing myself to you as a consuming fire. I'm putting a passion, a new fire, a new life. I'm going to raise something up. But it's going to come out of something that seems so stupid and foolish to my natural mind. Crisis is never fun. God never said it would be fun. He knew it would hurt. In fact, here's the other thing that's shocking. He let it hurt. We think Christianity should be pain-free, life-free, break-free, just blessing, blessing, blessing. No, no. God allows you to go through painful things. All of us have gone through different things. And guess what? God's not fair. He's just and He's good, but He's not fair to everybody. And let me tell you something. To the depths of the suffering you go through is how high you will soar. Because David's pain in what he went through made him one of the greatest compassionate, the greatest leader that Israel had ever had. It was the pain he walked through that gave him the ability to have compassion and love and to be able to lead the children of Israel to become literally the world. Israel at that time has never been repeated since that time. David, God gave David literally power over all the nations of the world. Brought him from the sheep shed, but he had to go through the crisis. He had to learn to encourage himself. He had to learn to pick himself up. And God met him every time. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Crisis is intended to produce courage. Why everybody say that with me? Crisis is intended to produce courage. God wants you to stop running from Goliath and start running to him. Stop running in fear. Face Goliath. Pull him down. Do you know that do you know do you know that God has given you the name of the Lord? You come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. What was what was David talking about? Worship. Worship. Your best weapon is worship. I don't want to worship. I know. Neither do I. But I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to worship Him. Now I know what I'm saying here today is kind of shocking. Some of you, some are, wow, right, whoa, whoa. You've got to learn to deal with some traditional things in your head that you've known for years. God wants us to come up higher. How many of you want to go higher? I don't want to go backwards. I want to go all the way with God. Jesus said to take up your cross daily. This is a daily thing. It's not a, if, if, if you're not reading your Bibles, if you're not in prayer, if you're not coming to the house of God and community of believers, you're susceptible. You should read your Bible at home, but you need the house of God too. You need his house. You need a, If this is not your home church, find a home church. Get plugged into it. Become a servant. 
and then watch God begin to work in your life. Everyone should have a place to serve. There's no such place for spectators. Everyone is a participator in the kingdom. Heaven is not about, well, I, I don't have anything to do or say. I, I'm not, I don't have much. No, you're all called to serve. And the first thing on a true Christian's mind is, where do I fit in? Where's my gifts? That's what I should be asking. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Looking for an amen out there. A believer wants to be part of the body. I got a finger. I got five fingers here, and I got five fingers. I got toes. I got knees. I got toes. I got a hips. I got a, a butt. I got back. I got a neck. I got ears, nose. All parts of my body are functioning. Only those who are part of the body are believers. Now, it may take time to get connected to that, to discover it. And not, I'm not trying to put kind If you don't know where, maybe you've never, never, never been taught this. But let me remind you, God wants everyone to have a place to serve. Do you, you know, I, I want to just say this. I, I want to give thanks so much to people like Bill and Judy and Paula and John and David and Kim and Kathy and others and so many more than I know I'm missing even right now. Bill and Mike Riga for doing security. But I want to tell you something. If we're going to reach the harvest, we need more people to participate. Because you know what's happening? The people that I just mentioned, they're wearing out. And we need some others to step up. We need some people to say, I'll volunteer. I've never taught a class. I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily like children. Well, neither did I. I'll never forget the first time, the very first ministry I ever had. I, I felt the Lord convict me. Ray, you need to get involved in the house of God, the church family. And I, I said, I don't know what to do. I was an eighth grader, and Sister Edie, my pastor's wife, said, take the sixth grade boys. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. You'll learn. That's what she said. You'll grow in it as you do it. You don't need a degree. You don't have to have a Bible scholar. You don't have to. All it takes is compassion, love, the ability to just touch lives. And everyone needs to realize you've got something to give. Don't sit here and let the devil lie to you. Well, I, I can't. I'm just, I'm just poor enough. And I'm a, I come from a dysfunctional family. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nobody. I'm a zero. I'm the, nobody will like me. No. That pity is a crutch that needs to be destroyed. Stop using the crutch. Start saying, God has given me the Holy Spirit. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. He's given me a word. I have gifts God can use me to make an influence on someone else's life. That's God's word. That's not Ray Galligan. That's why he calls us more than conquerors. God never calls you something that you can do in your own strength. He always calls you to do something beyond what you can do. Because he's trying to stretch you. He's trying to work on you. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a minute. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, wow. I've never seen crisis like this. I've allowed pity. I've allowed the lies of the enemy to just cause me to get stuck. I need a breakthrough. First of all, in my way of thinking, I've, I've made you too small in my eyes. Oh God, please heal me. I've made God small, or I've put other things in priority. I need you, Lord, to open my eyes to see myself as you see me. Even when David was in a crisis and was distressed and his, his own men turned against him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. It starts with abiding, abiding in him. But then you've got to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns. You still may not feel anything, Keep worshiping. Keep worshiping.
you're going to go through body shock. Oh, you're going to go through a shock, all right. But then you're going to come through breakthrough. You're going to experience amazing victory. God wants you to have that victory that's not just thought about or talked about, but lived out. Maybe that's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand. If anybody identifies with that, raise your hand. Okay, I see your hand. See your hand. All over. See your hand. Okay. Go ahead and put your hands down. Father, we thank you right now. In fact, I want everybody to pray with me right now. Pray this prayer with me, then we're closing. Dear Father, we come to you in faith, believing your word. Let this word bring change to the way I think. I'm letting go of fear and things that I do not understand. I don't have to understand it but I believe you. Help me to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean to my own understanding. I acknowledge you in all my ways, for you will direct my path. Help me see the greatness of who you are in me. For Christ in me is the hope of glory. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're winners.